Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have a great guest today in the building. I have Dr. Hansa Bargava, Chief Medical Officer of Medscape, Medical Director, right, with uh, WebMD, Medical Director. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. Corey, thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yes. You know, let the people know a little bit about you, you know, what, what you're currently doing and, and kind of what gets you up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much. I am a certi- board-certified pediatrician by training, but have been with WebMD and Medscape for a number of years. And what gets me up in the morning is um, helping people feel better. And lately, over the last few years, I've been focused on not just their physical health, but their mental health as well, and their mental wellness. And um, that's because, you know, I, I started um, hearing about kids and families just being really stressed out, um, certainly increased levels of anxiety and depression, even pre-pandemic. But unfortunately, post-pandemic, it's gotten um, much worse. And, you know, I do think that this is probably a second uh, pa- second epidemic or pandemic post, uh, post-COVID-19. So I think we need to focus on it. And lastly, I, I'm writing a book called Building Happier Kids with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Again, kind of just looking at families and kids and what we can do to lessen our stress and be happier and more peaceful. That's that's amazing. I'm looking forward to that that book. Um, and you said something which I, which I totally agree is with mental health and the issues that we've seen. You know, n- even before the pandemic, but even more so now during the pandemic. Uh, what have you had experience with, or what have you kind of noticed now that it's been, we've been a year in or a little over a year, what kind of things have you, have you noticed with your patients, uh, when, in regards to mental health? Yeah. And I think, I think the, the key is it's been over a year, but even in the first six months of the pandemic, uh, what we had to do as a public health measure was to socially, I like to physically distance and we called it social distancing. Um, but you know, the isolation that occurred due to that, and we all felt it, right? Like yeah. even as adults, not seeing your family or your friends or, you know, going to even, even going to work into the office, you know, things like that, uh, you know, the community celebrations that are so integral to our humanity, right? Whether it's a Sunday uh, morning church session or whether it's the birthday celebration or the wedding, you know, all these all these social events that are so integral in- integral to, to our humanity for thousands of years were suddenly taken away. And I think um, that has been really, really difficult for people. Um, in addition to that, uh, we know that seeing um, stress-provoking news constantly 
uh, can actually cause anxiety too. So I think that's a, that was um, another issue that kind of um, that people were were worried about. And then lastly, last year there were some issues around social justice as well, and um, you know all of the um, you know all of what we saw on the news about that. There was just a lot of anxiety provoking news last year. So that in combination with social isolation, I think just just has gotten us to a new level of, you know, difficulties in our mental health and wellness. And so I think it's just really important for us to kind of address those for so many reasons. Right. So what's that, what's that first step? Do you feel, you know, what's that first step into, you know, addressing it and and trying to move forward? I think the first step and an important step is awareness uh, that we have an issue that there's an acceptance about it, that the stigma is removed from it so that uh, people can not only get um, the diagnosis, but can get intervention without being feeling like there's something wrong with them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, mental health and well-being is just as important as physical health and well-being. And, you know, I think that's really important. The second issue that's really important is access to care. Um, you know, when people have uh, mental health issues, it's very, very hard for them to find the help. So I think those are two, it's a multi-pronged problem from that perspective. So awareness and prevention of it, and then obviously access to treatment. Right. And and that kind of leads into my next question as far as access. I know you do a lot of work in innovation and digital health. What kind of digital health services that that are out there that you see that are going to stay, they're here to stay, like the pandemic brought them to light and they're kind of here to stay. And what are some things that you feel like on the technology side can be a benefit for now and in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Corey, you make such a great point about the telemedicine. So one silver lining around the cloud of COVID-19 was that it has acted as a catalyst, right, to Mm -hmm. help us open our eyes to other solutions, other potential solutions to this crisis. And I do agree with you that telemedicine um, is a potential solution. And also there's been a flourishing of digital innovation around mental health. So it's not just like necessarily um, apps that help diagnose or help you meditate or help and give mindfulness or help you, you know, remind to remind you to take a deep breath, but also um, access to care via the telemedicine, um, as well as, you know, other digital uh, apps and, you know, mobile um, and, and innovation. And so I think I'm like, what, if you ask me, uh, if I'm excited about something, that's what I would say I'm really excited about, because the patient journey from prevention to having an issue that you need diagnosed to actually getting a solution, all that entire journey can be impacted by digital. So, you know, um, and I think we're seeing the, almost the entire spectrum of digital and telemedicine kind of acting on that patient journey. And so I think there's, you know, without necessarily naming certain companies, I just think that uh, there's, it's, it's flourishing. And I'm so excited that we are utilizing digital and innovation to, to hopefully fill in some of those gaps that we have. With, you know, staying on the technology side, I know, you know, you're, you're a pediatrician, you work with a lot with kids. There's that, there's that balance of, I know my children live in um, a technology-based world. Uh, we also know that we don't want them on technology 24-7, but it's... <laughs> 
is kind of there. How do parents balance that? What's a healthy balance for a parent to say, okay, you can have X amount of time. I'm dealing with this right now. Like what's, what's a good healthy amount of time using technology, but understanding that this is the world we live in. It's so true. It is a double-edged sword, right? Like we're we're talking about technology giving us solutions, whether it's apps or, you know, texting or um, telemedicine or diagnosis with artificial intelligence, all of that. But yeah, I mean, I think that if there's too much uh, screen time uh, for kids, that can certainly lead to problems, not necessarily because of screen time, but also because they may end up somewhere they don't want to, like um, with you know, I always compare it for my own kids, the internet and uh, screen time as a door that allows you into so many universes. And I, as a parent, can't see through into those universes. Like they could be sitting in their room and they're a different universe. And I, I don't know where they are. That door leads to so many places. So I think um, for parents, not only is it like how many hours of screen time, but also like, where are they going? And you know, talking to them about digital citizenship um, and all the rules and parameters around that. So the best analogy, I think, is like um, when your child learns how to drive, are you just going to give them the car keys and say, hey, go for it? Right. right? Like there's actually a process around that and you have rules around it. Similarly, I think you need to have those rules around um, screens as well. Right. That's, that's a great anal- analogy because as what we do is they're, they're, they want a phone, you give them a phone and say, just go for it. You, you might set some boundaries, but it's like, all right, go do your thing. And, you know, these kids are, are savvy these days. They know how to get around and, and do things that I don't even know. I think that the solution, a lot of people ask me, oh, well, there's this app or you know, I can monitor the kids and, you know, um, I can watch exactly what they're doing and limit the time and all that stuff. And I think, you know, that's if, you know, if, if that's helpful to your family, it's wonderful. But I think the number one tool that we have as parents, um, and it is a tool that has been, that has withstood the era of time for thousands of years, and that is communication and family time. Like those are old fashioned tools, but keeping those communicate that communication open with your kids so that they will come to you whenever they have a question or they'll have those conversations with you um, and having the family time to give them that 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 arena to to do that is the number I think I think the number one defense against anything bad that can happen anywhere whether it's in physical reality or virtual reality so just just making the time to to be open and, and honest with them and communicate. That's great. And and thinking of communication, this is something that I've spoke about a lot, providers and communicating with their patients, maybe, you know, a low health literacy. You know, there, there are times where I may have a patient in my office that's frustrated because of a way a doctor has spoke with them. And maybe the doctor has no idea that they're speaking down to them or in that in a certain way. What are your thoughts on you know, how as health professionals in general, how can we better improve our communication to patients so we can can let them know that we're there to help them and and to improve their health? Yeah. And I think that's such a great question because I think the issue is listening, right? Like you want the patients to be able to listen and communicate with you because otherwise, you know, they're not necessarily to behaviorally comply or do what they're supposed to do to make themselves better. So 
Uh, I think you need to speak their language, Corey, right? Like you right. actually have some cultural competencies, understanding, not having implicit bias. You know, all of those things are incredibly important to kind of just know that they're just a they're just a person like you and and to be able to speak to them uh, person to person with that respect uh, on that level. However, the only caveat I would say is, and it's not even a caveat, it's just like an acknowledgement that healthcare workers themselves are suffering right now too, right? They're stressed out. It's post-pandemic. They've gone to quote-unquote war, right? So just like our war veterans, like they have gone there and they are stressed and anxious and they've given it their all. So I think we also need to take care of our healthcare workers and help them become resilient. Um, Because you and I know, like, if you're in pain yourself, how can you help somebody else's pain, right? Right. So, you know, we have to help them as well. So I think it's a two pronged approach, like teaching them about culture and respect and competencies, and you know, all of those, um, those, those uh, learnings, but also helping them kind of get up again, because they might be Follow themselves. Right. And, and that, you know, how can you give great care and still take care of yourself when you have so much on your plate? I'm sure you know this better than anybody. Yeah, I think I think we need to take care of our healthcare workers, and um, I think that has to start with um, organizations increasing awareness of it, removing stigma around mental health issues for healthcare workers as well, and lastly, incredibly importantly, um, the health systems kind of have to back it up, leaders all the way down from leadership to you know every person in that institution, and you know a recent survey showed that forty percent of um, healthcare workers uh, want to leave the profession. I think it was mostly doctors, but but that's a problem because that means for you and me and everyone else, when my mom's sick or my kid's sick, what does that mean? Like that I'm not going to be able to be seen in a timely manner. Is it that I'm going to have a very fatigued healthcare worker giving me the care I need? So it affects all of us. And so, you know, you take care of them, they'll take care of you. And so I think, you know, it has to be a multi-pronged approach as well. And, and so important. And we've done some work on that at Medscape. Um, we did put a documentary series together, The Doctor's Dilemma, and we interviewed um, several experts, um, you know, with different ways of kind of coping with, with, with the issues that are plaguing healthcare workers right now. That's awesome. And that's at Medscape. So anybody can go there and check that out if they wanted to. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, Dr. You know, Hansa, before I get you out of here, you know, I would love to learn more about this book you're writing. Um, you can you tell me about it, you know, um, and, you know, how's that process been for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been um, definitely a uh, a labor of love, <laughs> so to say, but I do, and, and it's been a lot of work, quite honestly, but I'm really, really excited about it because the issue was as a pediatrician and a parent myself, just realizing that we were on this like treadmill of keeping up with the Joneses, so to say. And, but I don't mean like having stuff. I mean, like, oh, now we got to go to soccer and now we got to go to, you know, um, this drama production and now we got to go to this and that. And, And what I realized in my own life was that, you know, by running around trying to like check every box that, you know, seemingly every other family was doing, we forgot about the fundamentals and the basics that actually 
are the glue that grounds us. And that include that really includes what I talk about a lot, which is family time and communication and just priorities and purpose. And so my book um, talks about, you know, all of those things. And, you know, do you want your child to go to the best Ivy League school or or do you want them to be like a really successful person in terms of making money? Or do you want them to be happy? Like happiness and peace is so, so important. And not only is it important in their life and your life, but it's also important for health because it translates to good physical health, which I know you've done a lot of work around good physical health. And you probably have seen the impact that stress takes on physical health. Yeah, a- absolutely. And what what's funny is we we put our kids into these activities because we want them to have good physical health and, and good mental health and um and things like that. And then we don't take a step back and see, oh my gosh, I'm they look stressed out because of so all the activities that we do to keep them, you know, healthy. You, you know what I mean? And to have them doing, you know, yeah. things and being out there and and being productive, not just sitting at home on their phone, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen so many stories like that. And I even remember my own son one day, he had a birthday party and, um, you know, um, and the school event and, you know, all these exciting things. And I said, well, what do you want to do tomorrow? Like, how, why don't we do this first and that person and the other thing first? And he said, I don't want to do anything. I just want to stay home and be with you. And I was like, <laughs> okay then <laughs> and it was just like you know sometimes kids say the darndest things and and yeah. it kind of shines a light on what we forget as adults yeah so, so in that moment how'd that feel when, when your son said he just wanted to be home with you and not want to do anything what, what was that feeling in that moment I it was a revelation it really was it was just like listen and that's the other thing like as a pediatrician I'll say this but we got to listen to our kids like listen just listen and and they will tell you <laughs> what's really going on <laughs> so no it's great I mean I'm really excited about my book I mean that's why the title is building happier kids uh and I have dedicated a full chapter to to being happy ourselves because just like the healthcare workers Corey if we don't fill our own cup we can't pour from it absolutely absolutely again you know Dr. Hanza, thank you so much for being on with me today. I really, really appreciate having you on. If um, anybody listening wanted to get a hold of you and learn more about you and, and what you're doing, you know, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you can um, reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Hansa Vargava MD or Instagram at Dr. Hansa MD, and then also um, through Medscape or WebMD. So. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Um, And everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll holler at you next time.